0: Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. A gift of hope. Advent. Advent is here. comes from the Latin word, adventus, meaning coming. It's a favorite liturgical season for many people. It generates a feeling of excitement and anticipation as we think about Christ coming into the world. Yes, I know Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago. But we remember the events of his birth every year in the church. Each year we come back to this moment with a new perspective formed by the experiences of our lives over the last year. Each year it's new. Yet it's also so familiar. When we return to this moment, there's excitement because we know how wonderful it is. We've been here before. But it's also new because the circumstances are always different. It reminds me of a feeling I used to have when coming home from a long deployment when I was in the Navy. As the ship started to make its final journey to the home port after several months at sea, the excitement built up for everyone as they began to anticipate their home coming. This excitement happened so reliably that we had a name for it. We called it Channel Fever. Sometimes we knew what to expect when we got home, but sometimes there were big surprises. On one particular situation, there was a crew member who was nervous about coming home because he was afraid of what he might find when he got home. When we left for deployment, his wife was pregnant, and she was due to give birth while we were gone. But he never received any messages about her or the baby. We had no access to phones or email during the patrol, so he couldn't ask anyone what was happening for months. He only knew what the shore command was willing to tell him through radio transmissions. But on our way into port, as we entered the deep channels that allowed the ship to navigate safely into the harbor, he received a message from Shore Command. Yes, something unexpected did happen while his wife was giving birth. But they decided not to tell him while he was gone, since they didn't want him to be distracted while he was out at sea. After all what happened, had happened, and there was nothing he could do about it now, nor was there anything he could have done about it while he was even there. It turns out that his wife was fine, and the delivery went well. The unexpected event, though, was that instead of just one child, he had three. (laughs) She had triplets while he was gone, and he had no idea when he left for patrol that his wife was expecting triplets. Needless to say, he was extremely excited to get off the ship and get onto the pier and see his family when he got back. Perhaps you've experienced this kind of homecoming excitement yourself. Maybe you were waiting at home for a loved one to come back home from deployment. Or they were simply on a long trip and you were waiting for them to return. Perhaps you feel this kind of anticipation each year for those who transition to a summer home up north, and they come back here to the south, and you end the winter. You've been there before, but there's always a bit of excitement in the air when you get to return home or receive a loved one home. This is kind of what it's like each year during Advent as we prepare for the coming Christ. In this first week of Advent, our theme is hope. We focus not only on the feeling of hope we get when we think about the birth of Christ, but also on the hope that comes to us in our everyday lives when we experience the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit. There's also the feeling of hope we get when we think about the final days, when we get the opportunity to commune with Christ in his heavenly kingdom. According to today's scripture passages, this is something to look forward to but it's also something we must prepare for. In the apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Rome, he urged them to diligently follow the way of life that leads to Christ. This way included practicing self-discipline so that the entire community grows in love and compassion for each other. Those who lack self-control always letting their physical desires control their behavior, we're compared to someone who walked in darkness and wouldn't be able to find their way to Christ. When we live our lives solely on feeling good through physical or shallow emotional gratification, whether it's through excessive drinking or excessive sexual promiscuity or bullying others, we're blind to the gift of love that Christ offers us. We can't possibly earn our own salvation, but we must be in a state of mind that allows us to see it when it's presented to us. Paul compared taking that first step toward living a disciplined life to the process of waking up. When dawn first breaks across the sky and the light begins to penetrate those closed eyelids, we know it's time to prepare to get up. We crack our eyes and let our conscious minds start taking control from the unconscious. And we begin to take stock of where we are and what we need to do for the day. Likewise, we can no longer avoid noticing at that time the cost of letting personal pleasure always rule our lives. We know that something must change. It's time to wake up. Assess our situation and figure out what do we need to do to start walking in the light. Paul delivered this message with a sense of urgency, saying it was, quote, already the moment for you to wake from sleep. In our passage from Matthew, Jesus also spoke with a sense of urgency as he warned his disciples to say, stay vigilant in their faith. Since nobody knows when the time for judgment will come, not even Jesus himself. In the beginning of chapter 24, we read a later passage in chapter 24. Jesus commented on the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and his disciples approached him to find out, when will this take place? I think the answer they received may have been more than they had bargained for. Because Jesus went on to discuss not only when the destruction of the temple would take place, but when the end of the current age would happen. Again, our passage tells us that Jesus didn't even know when it would happen. Only God knows. I emphasize this point again because there's always somebody saying, Yep, it's the end times. I told you so. Can't you tell? No, not even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could tell exactly when the end would take place. One thing we can glean from his message is that when it does happen, there will be little or no warning. Then, quote, then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. There are many theories about what this may mean, but they're only theories. What exactly does it mean to be taken versus left behind? Or what does it even mean for the age to come to an end? Is it the end of our lives, the end of an historical era, or just the end of one person's particular journey in darkness? Our inability to understand the messages and hidden meanings within this description is probably tied to our lack of vision into God's kingdom. Just as the Sadducees earlier were not able to even present Jesus with a relevant question about resurrection. When they challenged him in the temple with a a hypothetical scenario of seven brothers who had the same wife and wanted to know who her husband would be in the new age. We are most likely not prepared to provide a definitive description of what happens when, quote, this age comes to an end. What we can say is that this passage tells us that the end age will be abrupt and will come without warning. Just as the people in the days of Noah were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until finally, the suddenly the floods came upon them, they we should expect that the end of our age will also come without warning as we go about our daily lives. Like a thief in the night, Christ will unexpectedly appear and we will be transformed in some way. There's no way to know when this will take place. So Jesus urged his disciples to always be prepared. To think about these things will happen at our that they will happen at our own convenience at a time when we think it's appropriate to start getting ready for life, would be a mistake. So you may be asking yourself, where's the hope in this message this morning? Much of our discussion has been about remaining vigilant in our life in a daily way, so that we will, which might sound a little threatening. Hope comes through the vision of Isaiah that he paints for us in his early writings. As you may recall from a couple of weeks ago, the writings from the prophet Isaiah were thought to have actually been created by several people over about three centuries in the early sixth century. The passage we read this morning is one of the early writings from the period when the Israelites were being threatened by the Babylonian empire. Despite the humility and tragic loss of life, the Israelites were experiencing Isaiah shared a vision, a vision of respect and peace for Jerusalem in the future. At this point in Jewish history, the northern kingdoms of Israel had been captured by the Babylonians, and the city of Jerusalem had experienced a brutal siege. Inhabitants who survived that Babylonian incursion were forced into exile. Meaning that they were moved to distant lands where they would be forced to be a minority, unable to reform as a nation and mount a counterattack. It's during this period that the prophet Isaiah was given a vision or a description of a vision. In this vision, Israel is recognized by all the other nations of the earth as a leader, a leader in peace, in wisdom. And injustice. People will stream into Jerusalem from all over the world to learn about God and how to live holy lives acceptable to God. From this place, God will serve as arbiter and judge and will teach humanity how to live in peace. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is really one of the most famous passages in the Hebrew Bible because of the feeling of hope that it evokes, especially when we consider the context in which it was written. In a time of never-ending violence, when the nation of Israel was constantly being bullied and humiliated, Isaiah was given a vision of peace and confidence that all the earth has dwelled upon for thousands of years. In this vision, all the instruments of war have been converted into instruments of planting and growth. And the practice of warfare had been forgotten. God was not the king or ruler, but God guided the nations and taught people from every culture, from every corner of the earth, how to live fruitful lives. In one of Israel's darkest moments in history, their prophet Isaiah was given one of the most encouraging and hopeful visions that has inspired countless generations since then. This is the gift we celebrate today, the gift of hope. Despite the darkness that we're encountering today, there is a reason to have hope. Despite the times that we have failed to fulfill the promises we've made, or the times when we have let our personal pleasures take control of our lives, or the times when we've simply failed to recognize the dawning of God's love in our lives, there is a reason to have hope. Christ has come, and Christ is coming again. Through his crucifixion and resurrection, Christ offers us the chance to repair and restore our relationship with God. Through his love for each of us, he has given us another chance to share that love with God and each other. If we choose to accept this offer of grace, we will be guided to the path that leads to fruitful living, a way of life that is led by the Spirit and enjoys the fruits of the Spirit. So I encourage you today to accept the the grace that is offered from Christ and remain diligent in following his teachings until Christ comes into your life again and again. Christ is coming. It is the season of Adventus. Rejoice and be glad in the gift of hope that comes lying in a manger on a cold winter's night. Amen.